This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome once again to the program. And where do you begin after that weekend? Like, where do you start the conversation? Do you start the conversation with Patrick Kane? Start the conversation with Sidney Crosby? Do you start the conversation with Matt Rempe? Yeah, we might have to at some point talk about Matt Rempe. What a seven days that was for him. Uh, Sidney Crosby trying to will his team into a playoff spot. We'll get to that, but we should also park some time and talk about Patrick Kane and what we saw yesterday at the United Center. A couple of things. One, uh, a lovely celebration for Chris Chelios as his number goes to the rafters. And uh, no surprise if Chelios wanted to invite everybody he knows and probably counts as a close friend, the fans would have to leave and all his pals would be in the stands. That was lovely. That was wonderful. I don't know how you feel about Chris Chelios, but for me, my favorite and still at this point, and we'll see what happens with the careers, although Kane's making noise, uh, the best U.S.-born hockey player I've ever seen. Love, love, love Chris Chelios and always have. Now, speaking of Patrick Kane, had to happen that way, right? Had to end that way, right? Had to end with Patrick Kane in the overtime winner. His second overtime winner this week, or last week rather, the one against Colorado and the one yesterday against his former team, the Chicago Blackhawks. And there was an outpouring of love and an outpouring of emotion towards Pat Kane yesterday, the likes of which we haven't seen since Eddie Jockerman. And that was another Detroit Red Wing, this time going back to New York. That was the netminder, loved, loved by the New York Rangers, uh, dumped by the New York Rangers, picked up by the Detroit Red Wings, and then a week later back at MSG. The uh, visuals are beautiful. There's a great picture online you can see of Eddie Jockerman in the crease as the national anthem is playing. He's in a Wings uniform at MSG. The crowd is cheering for him, and he's sobbing. It really is a beautiful piece of hockey photography. And I kind of got that same vibe yesterday about Patrick Kane in Chicago. And it does lead to the conversation about what happens after this season. And, you know, it's been said before, even if you burn a bridge, they'll still send a boat. I wonder if the Chicago Blackhawks send a boat at the end of the season. Now, Kane has worked out fantastically for the Detroit Red Wings. First half of the season, eh, maybe not Pat Kane's standard but there's no denying Patrick Kane on this Red Wings team right now is a force. And of those three teams we thought at the beginning of the season that were going to vie to distinguish themselves amongst the pack. And the pack was three. The pack was Ottawa. The pack was Buffalo. The pack was Detroit. Many thought Detroit was in third in that entire group. I was one of them. Many thought Buffalo was going to be the team that took off. I was one of those. And many thought that Ottawa would be right in the middle. And yeah, that's kind of where I had everything falling. But the Detroit Red Wings, who have done this the past couple of off-seasons uh, with free agents and with trades, have very much jumped up and distinguished themselves out of that group. And now we're talking about finally, once again, seeing playoffs in Detroit at that shiny new-ish arena that we'd all love to see in the middle of April. See how hot it is. But the question is going to become quickly... Now that we see that Patrick Kane is back to the height of his powers, and man, does he ever look fantastic right now. Does Cal Davidson try to bring him back with the Chicago Blackhawks? Other questions we have around the NHL, and a lot of the conversations now until March 8th are going to be, 
bluntly about trade deadline and players available and who's going where and who's going back the other way and what team is going to throw in the towel and how close are they and you look at a team like the Seattle Kraken and you say they got a game against Boston they got a game against Pittsburgh and is that going to decide that is that going to decide the direction that Ron Francis ends up going Got a lot of questions. We had some answers on the weekend. Had a, some great hockey on the weekend, too. How about the Battle of Alberta on Saturday? How many times did you say, yeah, this thing is back on again? This is like Cassian um, facing off against Kachuk all over again. Nonetheless, lots to get to today. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada joins me now. Hello, Fridge. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, bud? Good. Are you out for your walk right now? Because it is gorgeous in Toronto. I'm just about to head out. I got back... Uh... From the gym, I just cleaned up. I know this story is already not believable because it involves me in the gym. But <laughs> I just I just got back from the gym, and I'm just getting dressed up okay. for my walk right now. Sunlight is a good thing. Uh, it is. It's good for everybody. Uh, spend as much time um, with sunlight on your face and grass, grass underneath your toes. Um, okay, you know, just mentioning Pat Kane off the top there, and I want to get into the Maple Leafs and Joseph Wall has been called up and we've got a number of other things we have to, uh, to get to for the week coming up around the NHL. Um, but in the 24 hours now that we've had to sort of contextualize and look at and think about, actually even less than 24 hours, what we saw yesterday with Patrick Kane, and we had this conversation on the podcast that came out this morning you know, should the Blackhawks be interested again in bringing back Patrick Kane? You know, Hawks fans are down with it. It's not as if he's, you know, out there just, you know, mailing it in and just collecting paychecks. He's playing great, and he would look yep. great with Connor Bedard or whomever they draft in the first round, maybe Macklin Celebrini, if I can get ahead of myself here. Do you have any further thoughts on what we saw yesterday and uh, in, in Chicago? Well, already I stepped in it today. I, I radioed myself because we talked on the pod about how I wasn't sure that um, Kane will be doing an extension before the deadline. And uh, people were like, oh, no, Elliot thinks he's going back to Chicago and he's not staying in Detroit. I don't <laughs> want to go that far. Uh, I think it's very possible he could stay in Detroit. I think, obviously, it's worked out uh, really well for him there. And it's just a little too yeah. much. I just... Look, I was just it was it was tough not to it was tough not to watch that last night and envision the possibility could he end up back there. So that's all that that is. I I don't have any reason to believe he's thinking of not staying in Detroit. You know, I first of all, I would love to give congratulations to Ken Daniels who nailed that call. Oh, uh, an old an old friend call. of ours who we both broke into the business with. He absolutely nailed that call, so I wanted to but again, like for me, like obviously the Kane stop is is the biggest highlight because it was the it was the perfect exclamation mark to the to the night. But if you haven't listened to yep. Chris Chelios' speech yet, um, you know I, I would go listen to it. I I really thought his speech was brilliant. Um, you know, just uh, you know the way he spoke about people. Um, uh, you know, like, like like you know that. I remember when Lawrence Taylor was honored by the by the New York Giants. And I loved Lawrence Taylor. He was one of my favorite players in any sport mm-hmm. growing up. I, I remember the night he got honored, he got at, I think it was a Monday Night Football game, he got honored at halftime. And uh, he talked about a whole bunch of people. And then he pointed at the fans and he said, this night is about me and you. And it reminded me a lot of the Chelios last night. Like he... Like the fact that you mentioned mm. Bob Probert, I thought that was phenomenal. Um, 
But the yeah. way he talked and the way he talked about some of his teammates, uh, I thought it was excellent. Um, he brought um, the friend who sent him to Moose Jaw all those years ago. The way he talked about Chicago, like he pointed out that there's only me and Dick Buckus, who are people from Chicago who've gotten our numbers retired by Chicago teams. The way he talked about seeing, I think it was two of Buckus's nephews in the morning and what fate that was. Just about how much he loved being in Chicago. I just thought it was an incredibly gracious speech. And like I know, Jeff, I'm not getting my number retired anywhere. Maybe if they retire one of my suits, <laughs> I hope that I will give a speech uh, as gracious as that one that Turtlenecks gave last night. Yeah, the retirement that, that one definitely when has been retired. Um, but like, I hope I would give uh, a speech that was as gracious as the one that Chelios gave yeah. last night. I thought it was really brilliant. Yeah, the whole the whole night was beautiful, and the game was great, and the Kane heroics, and the second time in seven days that he scored the overtime winner, and he's heating yeah. up, and Detroit's looking good, and they're talking about playoffs uh, again in Motown, which is a, which is a wonderful thing. Um, uh, outside of that page, let's let's rewind to Saturday, and it was uh, Tyler Bertuzzi's birthday. He celebrates yep. with a hat trick. The Maple Leafs have won seven games in a row. The Austin Matthews story has been well, well, well documented. Um, so what does this mean for the Toronto Maple Leafs now? Like, as they, as they look around, I mean, it, you don't have to look too far to see the Florida Panthers, who I think we're all pretty much on the same page, the best team in the Eastern Conference. And maybe you ask yourself, okay, before we make any moves, in our mind, can we beat them in a seven-game series? Uh, but you look around at the Boston Bruins and you look at what's happening in the Metropolitan Division. Like, what are the decisions here now with Brad Treliving, given that, given that all of a sudden – this team has said, hey, I know you might have kept your powder dry this season, Brad, but we're here winning seven games in a row, five of them, without our number one defenseman. And and you know what? People kind of rip the schedule uh, 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 during that five-game ah. stretch. Well, you can't rip uh, Vegas, even without Eichel and Stone. You cannot rip when you go into Vegas and you're up 4 nothing after a period. I don't care who's out of their lineup. You cannot yeah. rip that, and you cannot rip uh, the victory uh, over Colorado the other night. Um, so, you know, like, look, it's it's my line about Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. We can look at this team and you can say, well, it looked like some holes are here. Are they really that good there? Um, it doesn't matter. It, what matters is how they're performing. And, you know, like, uh, like I was one of those people earlier in the year who really felt, is this the year that you really want to, take your shot with the limited amount of young assets you have well now your players have basically told you you can't waste this year and you know Matthews is obviously on a 70 goal pace and 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 a heart trophy projection but the other thing too is it's it's been it's been more than the core four as you mentioned Riley was out of the lineup they played very well and I think the other thing this year is there's been a number of players whether they struggled earlier and they're coming on now or they found homes in Toronto, like Benoit, to me, is like the perfect example. This is a guy who, uh, you know, Anaheim didn't qualify because they thought his contract ask was unrealistic, and now he's found a home in Toronto. You know, McCabe is a guy who hoped to play important games. If you look back through his career, he hasn't played a lot of important games. Well, now he's playing important games, and he's playing fantastic. And so, like, like I, like I, they... 
they, they've basically sent a message with how they've played. You cannot waste this year. And that's the, that's the way I think Toronto's mm-hmm. going to look at it. By the way, I loved, um, uh, I loved Bertuzzi's tattoo. The picture of him with the belt, no guts, no glory. I thought that was great. It's pretty good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, let me, you know, let me, uh, let, let me pivot to another team here, or a couple of teams here. Uh, you know what I don't like right now? We're having okay. a conversation at 10 minutes after 12 Eastern on Monday, February 26th. And yep. I don't like the feeling I get when it takes this long to get an injury update, especially one that is yeah, as crucial as Jamie Drysdale yeah. with the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, it just like seems as if, you know, the longer, I don't, I don't like the longer we go. I, yeah, they, they, he was going for a scan this morning, from what I understand. I think they were going to wait until they got mm. those results back, but I do not like what I'm hearing now. Uh, and then the the question becomes, well, one, and we talked about this on the pod, you know, what's the situation with, with Walker and Sealer? Does this complicate it at all? Uh, does this change Daniel Briere's mind at all? Uh, what does this mean for the New Jersey Devils? You see, I, I, I look at New Jersey and I see they're in a, a really interesting spot. And you made the point on the pod yesterday that perhaps the fortunes of the Devils are most closely tied to, if you're going to pick another team, the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that they're chasing, who are now facing a significant injury. But the thing that I wonder about here, and New Jersey has one game in hand on the Philadelphia Flyers. There are 62 points, and the Flyers are at 67. March 8th is creeping here, and we know how hard it is to gain ground and and pick up points. Um, Does the fact that they are this far apart lead you to believe that if the New Jersey Devils are going to do anything, it's not going to be a rental because nothing is guaranteed here? Well, look, look, I think this. First of all, Pittsburgh's at a 568 percentage. You look at the teams from their division who are out of the playoffs right now. The Devils are 534, Washington's 545, Pittsburgh's 545, the Islanders have 526. All of those teams have games in hand on the de- on the Flyers, although some of them it's like yep. New Jersey, it's one, but the Islanders have two, the Capitals have three, and the Penguins have four. That's why I think that Briere's decision here probably determines a lot of things because really his schedule gets tough, and if he moves guys off his roster, some teams are going to say, look, we're, uh, we're going to go for it. So um, I think it's – but. To me, like Drysdale's injury shouldn't change anything for Philadelphia. They are a year out of rock bottom for them. They have always taken a big picture view of this season. Yeah. And I think this year has been fantastic, but like Drysdale's injury shouldn't affect their plans. I don't think like I don't think that's where Philly should be. I still think Briere's decision should be okay. This is what we think a fair number is for Sealer. This is what we think is a fair number mm-hmm. for Walker. This is what we want in a trade for them. This is what we want in a trade for Lawton. And you should make your decision based on what you think uh, Sealer and Walker are willing to take or what you're willing to get in return. Mm-hmm. Like that to me, like this should not change Briere's opinion. It should be simply about what he values as best for his team, big picture wise, as it rebuilds. You see, I look at this one, I say, this is a test of the organization. 
this really is like how firmly are you are you believing in this rebuild because i think you're right like these in like this injury and the uh the the trades that are on the horizon here potentially for sealer walker and and who knows there might be more scott lawton we wonder about as well this to me is the true test of how committed are you to the rebuild because this is found money right now this is you know the hundred dollar bill you just picked up off the ground what are you going to do with it and to me this is if you're committed like really capital c committed it changes nothing but you know what happens up top yeah and all of a sudden wait a minute we can get some playoff dates here we can get some playoff gates we can pull in a couple of million dollars here and you know how things can change and how we can pivot and well maybe we don't add but maybe we just leave things the way they are and we're trending towards a playoff position let's just see what happens now i don't get the sense that that's happened in philadelphia at all i'm not sure if you do either but i don't get the sense that there is that pressure on danny briere keith jones whomever do you no i don't get that sense but i recognize it can exist i i think you'd be foolish like like i think there are situations not only across the nhl not only across the nhl where it does happen but in all of sports where Teams yeah. say we're going to rebuild, we're going to rebuild, and then whether their tickets go down or their TV ratings go down or f- other financial pressures hit, where you say, you know what, we can't do this. I think the other thing, like, like I, I do think this too, Jeff, is that I think like I've had teams tell me that like what's happened to Buffalo or Detroit is something that can scare mm-hmm. them away too. Like Buffalo has rebuilt a couple of times. They're coming up on what this is going to be 13 years out of the playoffs. Like it's it scares teams. It really does. So like I think all like, you're silly if you ignore these kinds of pressures. Now this this brings us naturally to another conversation, which is, and I agree with you 100 percent. That fear, like look look what's happening with the Montreal Canadiens right now. Like you know, has Suzuki improved? Yes. Has Slavkovsky improved? Yes. Has uh, Caulfield improved? Yes, but still, now they're on a five-game losing streak, and they're, you know, they're in they're in last place, 52 points, uh, you know, uh, playing 488, 448 hockey right now. But the the point that I wanted to get to here is, you know, one of the things we talked about when Hellebuck signed and with Winnipeg, and that Sh- and when Shifley signed with Winnipeg was the fear of what's gonna what's it gonna look like inside our building if we're not competitive or if we yeah. don't bring these players back how much of a like how much of a motivating factor was that in bringing those players back now this is this is all sort of you get, you got to stop playing in traffic Elliot by the way um, oh, this is all under the now umbrella we had a dump truck i don't know what's going on in my neighborhood here <laughs> You're like, are you like playing human frogger? Like, what are you doing during this hit? Here? What are you doing? So, the um, you know, the the thing about the Winnipeg Jets is this is all you know. As Gary Bettman is is going to Winnipeg tomorrow, talking with corporate sponsors, and there's you know issues with tickets, etc. I mean, that was the motivating factor here for the Winnipeg Jets. Let's just be on the same page here. They don't want to go or can't go through what Montreal. Uh, is going through right now or what Buffalo has gone through or uh, the Detroit Red Wings have gone through, Columbus is going through. Like That is something that the Winnipeg Jets cannot entertain for a second, true or false. Well, I, I just think that, you know, the, the, the one thing I, I look at here is that, yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to go through that, and it's a concern. There, there's no question about it. Um, you know, the one thing I always say, though, is, 
control what you can control. And, you know, sometimes you're not going to win every game. You're not going to win every year. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the other thing, too, is and I remember this covering the Raptors when they first started. You know, there's, there's a couple of years where it's a novelty, right? And people yeah. really enjoy it. And then that wears off if you don't start competing. And, you know, Winnipeg competed. They went to the Final Four in 2018 uh, before they dropped off a bit. But the one thing I always speak about, and I've been reading some of the stuff out there and talking to some people I know in Winnipeg, and Mark Chipman has kind of admitted this um, in uh, some recent interviews, and that is that what kind of experience are people getting when they're going into your building? Um, Like, that's one Mm. thing that the... The NBA in particular did really well. I learned when the, when they came to Toronto with the Raptors is that the NBA had a good in-arena show. Like, they, they played music during play. As a matter of fact, they changed one of the rules. They, they used to have a rule that you couldn't play music when the visiting team had the ball. You could only do it when the home team had the ball. They changed yeah. it. Now you can play music all the time. But, like... The NBA was a good show, and the NHL's always had a challenge with that because you can't really use the ice as part of the show during periods. Like in intermissions, you can have Cindy Crawford scoring goals and the building going crazy, but during the game, you can't do that so much. Um, and so like that's yeah. the one thing I always think. When your team is very good or when your team is struggling, are people leaving your building saying, eh, we didn't win tonight? We had a good time. And that is a huge question that always needs to be asked. And judging from the stuff I'm reading out of Winnipeg, they have been wrestling with that. Do their customers feel like they're being valued? But at the end of the day, Jeff, your number one mm-hmm. motivator for people to go to games is, does my, is my team good? Does my team have a chance to win? And you're right. You're going to have years where it's not going to be good, but – you can't have too many of them in a row because it doesn't matter how good your show is. If your team is not good, mm-hmm. you have no chance. You know, and that's why uh, we're going to go a really, really wide detour on this one. But uh, I'll use like Major League Ballparks as an example. This is why I've always felt that NHL teams should be allowed within reason to play with their own rink size to create a real home ice advantage like the Boston Bruins used to have at the garden or Chicago used to have, or Buffalo used to have arenas that are just a little bit different structurally dimensionally from everyone else in the NHL. If wins are going to be the main thing that sells, give your home team every advantage that they can have at their disposal. I've always felt that the standardized 200 by 85 was detrimental for entertainment because I think with different rink dimension, then all of a sudden roster construction becomes different for every team and you get more dynamic games. This team's built for this rink, that team's built for that rink. And when they clash, it can be uncomfortable, it can be wild, it can be good, it can be fun. But at least you know that your home team has a rink that is, con- that, is con- that is conducive to how that general manager conducts his or her roster building. Agree or disagree? Well, the only problem I have with this theory is that I think if you were left to your own devices, it would be pink ice and trap doors. 
And like, I don't want, you know, that's true. Like that. <laughs> I, you know, the, the thing is like, Jeff, the only the, like, like in theory, your idea is not bad. I think one of the differences is like with Boston, that was smaller. I think, you know, it was a much slower game back then. It was a meaner game, but it yeah. was a slower game. I just don't know at the speed that these guys play at that you can do that anymore. Well, he, he, see, here's my thinking. I think there are some teams that would want to make their rink wider. I really no, do I'm for a, a little I'm bit of room that. outside. If you if 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 you ha, if you have a really fast, I'm not talking about 200 yeah, by 100 internationally, yeah. but somewhere along along the way, along how the how the Finns do it, 200 by what is it, 92 wide, something like that. So a little more room on the outside to burn defense. Maybe. I don't know. Generally, your ideas are terrible. I, you know, but maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, then you're taking out expensive seats, right? No, you're not. You're taking out cheap seats because those seats just go, they just move back up. And those seats in the front, is, they did, uh, the, the expensive seats just move back one, by a couple of rows. You're moving out cheap uh, seats, the ones at the back. I don't, I don't know. I, like the way, like, I'm not so sure it's that simple. The way these arenas are constructed mm. now, I'm not so sure it's that simple. My mom thinks I'm cool, Elliot. <laughs> No, she told me that's not true. She just says that too. Yeah. Well, you know the old journalist saying too, right? If your mother says she loves you, get confirmation. Get confirmation. Um, okay, a couple of more Actually, things. I'd be, I'd be afraid a, a, a to ask for confirmation. <laughs> I wouldn't want to know the answer. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't know why I'm so fixated on the, the Seattle Kraken lately and, and their schedule, but I'm watching them really closely. And they beat the Vancouver Canucks and they beat the Minnesota Wild and a couple of big games coming up this week. Maybe I just fascinated because they had such a wonderful season last year and a wonderful playoff. And, you know, Jack Hughes told us, you know, when they when the New Jersey Devils saw Seattle beat the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, the vibe was, hey, look what Seattle just did with the Cup champions. We can do this against the New York Rangers. Uh, plus, they're, you know, the most recent expansion team. And you know, we yep. were there for the for the Winter Classic, etc. Um, they play Boston and Pittsburgh this week. Um, yep. It very much feels like Ron Francis's decision of, you know, go for it or we're out and white towel depends on these two games. Does it feel like that to you, Elliot Friedman? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Like, uh, like uh, you asked about Larson uh, on the pod and I said I, I yes. have no chance, and someone who listened to that this morning told me that. They said that they don't think there's any chance he's going anywhere, and I, I figure that's the case. I still think they're trying to sign mm-hmm. Everly. Now, some of their other guys, like Venberg, Schultz, um, Tatar, I, yeah. I think it could depend on the next few games, but I, I, I don't think Larson's going anywhere, and I still think they're trying to sign Everly. But, you know, like, like I'll tell you, one of the more interesting teams, and someone said that you know you should have mentioned them on the pod, uh, they, they, uh, was Nashville, and you know Nashville's in the playoffs right now, hmm. and uh, yes, they they, they've got they've got a few guys out there, like they've got you know, they've had their defensemen Fabro and Carrier out there. There's a decision on what to yeah. do with Soros. They've got to make a decision on Novak, and if if they don't keep Novak, there's going to be a ton of interest in him. But, you know, there you are, like Nashville's in the playoffs. They've been hot lately. And, you know, they, they, they're going to have – there's some of those teams. And some of those teams that are battling around the eighth playoff spot in the, in the West, whether it's St. Louis, whether it's Nashville. You know, Calgary, and we talked about this on the pod, um, you know, Calgary is – you know, how would you want to play that team – in the first round, if they, if in some world they could have Markstrom, Hannafin, and Tanev on their roster in the first round, the way they're going, 
You know, they're going to get – if they got in as the eighth seed, they would give a team trouble. And, you know, I have to tell you, like, yep. ever since that game on Saturday night, uh, it's just like <laughs> it's like people are like, Calgary's going to try to keep these guys. No, they get, they have to trade them. Like, it's, it's – it, like, at this time of year, it's just a loony bin. But, you know, like, I, that for me is the fascinating thing, Jeff. It's not just the Kraken. It's Nashville. It's Calgary. It's St. Louis. It's – it's all those teams in and around that area, Minnesota. Minnesota, that could finish eighth. And do you decide, hey, we want that playoff spot, or do you say, hey, like we're gonna sell? Do Do you not though? See, Nashville to me is fascinating. Uh, really interesting team for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. But do they not kind of feel like, in some ways, Philadelphia West? In that, if Barry Trotz gets what he wants for UC Soros or Tommy Novak or Dante Fabro or whomever, guess what? Pack your bag. Specifically Soros, given that they have Yaroslav Askarov, who's been nothing short of phenomenal with, uh, with AHL Milwaukee. Do they kind of feel like, like, like the Philadelphia Flyers of the West to you? Uh, yes. Uh, there is, I think that's a very fair comparison. I, like, to me, it was Soros it's if they get what they want because he's got term. Like with Novak, to me, it comes yes. down to they think they think they can sign him. So, I think that's that's what they're. I think that's what that's more like. Are they going to sign him? Kind of situation as opposed to Soros. Okay, real quick before I let you go tonight, um, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Colby Armstrong is going to stop by an hour or two. Colby, who by the way just recently sat down on the Spit and Chicklets podcast with Peter Mansbridge. Uh, so we'll get his thoughts on the uh, talking to the former chief correspondent of the CBC News, uh, Washington Capitals, and the Ottawa Senators. Now, Washington is a fascinating team as well. And we've talked about, you know, at what point did they say we need to tear this down and rebuild this a little bit? And we talked on the pod about Anthony Mantha, who's doing himself a nice little bit of business as well. And that was hurt, being the first one to act. I know, well, he was on the ice this morning, though. I, yeah, I, think, they, I think I, I saw that he was on the ice this morning, but he... Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there with uh, with Mantha. But he just got on a lot of NHL players' Christmas card lists uh, for what he did to Nick Cousins on the weekend. Uh, what do you see happening with uh, with Washington here at, at trade deadline? Uh, we know what the Senators' score is, but what do you see happening with the cap with the, the Capitals? Uh, you know what? I, I one of the things I kind of wonder that's interesting about them is their goaltending uh, because they have a kid in the American Hockey League, Stevenson who is ready to play. Um, you know, Hershey always has great teams. Um, you know, they play yes. to win, and uh, their their goal is to win every year. But they have a goalie down there uh, who uh, is really talented, uh, Stevenson. And so, like... Clay, St- Clay, people, Clay Stevenson. Clay Stevenson. Clay Stevenson. So people think he's ready to play. And yeah. I just want, I, I like, I wonder if that becomes one of the things that the Capitals consider too. Do they, do they make a move in goal to clear uh, room for him? So that's, but also like Edmondson, um, you know, Eric Engel listening to the pod this morning, he suggested Edmondson for Detroit. Like when you're talking about a defenseman who smells, I'm not an yeah. expert on Edmondson's yeah. body odor, <laughs> but he is a tough player. Um, yes. So, but like, like, so I, like, I think Washington, Manta, like, I mean, they've been headed for divorce for quite some time. Uh, Manta and the Capitals, um, you know, Edmondson, the goaltending, 
you know, that that's the kind of, you know, they also have to make a decision on Rasmus Sandin. Like, these, you know, he's getting to the point where you're going to have to think about extending him long term. So I'm sure that's all part of their decision making process. Anthony Mantha, by the way, has 18 goals so far this season, making uh, yeah, him even more enticing. Uh, he's, yeah. he's been mean and he's been productive. And that's just what you want out of someone who is that large, namely six foot five and 230 pounds. So right now he's playing like he's six foot five and 230 pounds. Okay, yeah. uh, enjoy the rest of your walk. Stay out of traffic, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, Jeff. Speak to you tomorrow. Bye bye.